Amen. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Queen. Um, and Andrew, thank you for bringing this podium out. Andrew's, Andrew's my buddy. This is, if you want encouragement in your life, you need somebody like Andrew. This guy texts me every Tuesday before I speak uh, at RUF, and uh, he says, I'm praying for you today. What can I be praying for you? Every Tuesday. He texted me today. What can I be praying for you for FCA tonight? So it's an encouragement. Thank you, Andrew. Um, I am excited to be back with you all. This is my third time uh, in the last year and a half or so, and what a, what a privilege it is to be able to worship with you um, on a Thursday night, to be able to get into God's Word with you and jump into this series. Um, as Sarah mentioned, I serve on campus. I'm here with you. I'm one of you. Well, I'm not. I'm old. I'm on campus with you, not one of you. You get what I'm saying. So I'm just thankful uh, to be here with you and even tonight to look at John 14. And so if you have your Bibles, or I believe it'll be on the screen up here, we're going to look at the first 11 verses from John chapter 14. Let me read this, and then we're going to jump right in. It says, Jesus, continuing to speak, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That's where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but these are the words of the Lord, and they will stand forever. Would you pray with me? Lord, we do uh, join our prayers now with those that have already been offered. Just ask that you would be our teacher tonight. Jesus, these are, we really do pray that. We pray that your words would be so alive and active. We know that they are authoritative. We know that they are applicable. And I pray that you would bring that to bear in the lives of the folks in this room. Lord, I have no idea what these students are going through right now. No idea. Um, You do. You know what each of them have experienced today, this week. You know where they all stand and in their faith right now. You know what's on their hearts and minds. Lord, would you show up and work in all of us tonight through your word? I pray that the words of my mouth and meditation of our hearts together will be pleasing your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, I thought we'd talk about dating. Y'all down for that? 
Okay, we're not really going to talk about dating, but I am going to start by talking about dating. Um, some of you just got so uncomfortable. I looked at you in the eyes and I saw it. So here's where I want to start. Um, say you hypothetically meet someone, maybe on campus, maybe at a campus ministry, I don't know. But you see somebody, you meet somebody, you lay eyes on them across the room. At some point, you start to get to know them, and, and all of a sudden you realize that I'm pretty sure we're perfect for each other. Like, they're cute, I'm cute. Um, they like Taylor Swift, I like Taylor Swift. They like Canes, I like Canes. This is obviously meant to be. And so you start hanging out, uh, you start texting. I don't know which comes first these days, I can't keep up, but you start doing one of those two things. And then all of a sudden you're hanging out and then you have a late night conversation, a DTR, and then it's a thing, right? It's like everybody's talking now, you have a label, you're official. Okay, we're, we good? All right, that's kind of how it works. All right, follow me on this. So you have this new relationship, you've been dating for a couple of months, and things aren't obviously uh, completely perfect because, you know, they're not completely perfect. Like, it's not the problem with you, it's the problem with them a little bit. And you start kind of seeing some of the problems. And so you get the confidence up and you're like, you want to address some of the problems that you see. And so you have this conversation and you say, hey, we're having a lot of fun right now. I just feel like we click a lot. Like things are going great, right? Right. There's just a couple of things that I just wish you would change. Just a couple of things. Like your sneezes are so loud and they make me uncomfortable. So would you just change the way that you sneeze? And, and also like, when you chew food, sometimes I hear you making a humming noise. It just gets on my nerves. Would you mind stopping that? And you also walk too slow. Um, and to be honest, I wish you would change the color of your hair <laughs> and your clothes. Like, get a new wardrobe. And every now and then, would you just do me a favor and talk in a South African accent when we're together? I just like that better. <laughs> okay, this is an insane idea of an illustration, but it, it gets us to this point. We know that's crazy town. We, like, we know that is not a healthy relationship intuitively, and we know that because we know that when you care about someone, especially if you love someone, part of what it means is that you learn to relate to them for who they are, right? You don't try to change them into the person that you want them to be. That would be a problem but you relate to them for who they are. Now, if we know that's true about a dating relationship or a friendship or anything like that, how much more true would that be about our relationship with God? But the problem is we don't treat our relationship with God that way. We actually think, I want God to be how I want God to be. And I want him to start looking more like what I want him to start looking like. The problem is God is not the one in the relationship that needs to change. We are the ones in a relationship with God that need to change. And so you may say like, well, I don't do that. I don't, I don't try to approach God in that way. But we do it in subtle ways. We, with things like twisting scripture to make it a little bit more palatable. Like we'll kind of say like, well, that was just for that culture. It doesn't really apply today. Or kind of reason with our friends. Well, I like to picture Jesus in this particular way. I know what it says there, but I like to picture Jesus. What are we doing? We're changing Jesus into an image that best suits us. 
Here's the thing. We don't change Jesus. We don't get to do that. Jesus is unchangeable. And more than that, he's not the one in the relationship that needs to change. We are the ones that need changing. Relating to Jesus means relating to him for who he says that he is. So who is Jesus? That's a very important question we come to with any text in Scripture, especially in the Gospels, and especially in this study that y'all are doing this semester in the Gospel of John. At the heart of this study is the question of, well, who is he? And how do I relate to him for who he says that he is? Tonight, we really get into that idea because Jesus says a lot about himself in this text, doesn't he? He reveals a lot about who he is, particularly in these words where he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. That's what I want to talk about tonight, how in the context of this passage, Jesus is showing us who he really is. And to be in a relationship with Jesus means we respond to him for who he is. Does that make sense? All right, so let's start by thinking about Jesus as the way, the way to God. So this section of John's gospel includes these four chapters of Jesus's conversation with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. It's often referred to as the upper room discourse. You've been studying it for weeks. In the passage just before this one, Jesus tells his disciples, where I am going, you cannot come. And Peter says, Lord, where are you going? And he tells him, where I am going, you cannot follow me right now. And they are troubled by this. They don't want Jesus to go anywhere. They would feel lost without him. And so he assures them, let not your hearts be troubled. He's going to leave for a time. He says that in this text. But he has to leave so that he can come back and take them to be with him where he is. They don't understand what's going on. And so he says, you know the way to where I'm going. But one disciple, Thomas, Thomas is known for saying things that are on his mind. He's like, "Uh, Lord, we do not... Let me just speak for me, Lord. I do not know where you are going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way. All right. My guess is that some of us are coming into this room tonight feeling a little lost. Maybe not physically. Like, you know what room you're in. You know what part of campus you're on. But maybe maybe spiritually you're, you're feeling lost right now. Whether um, you have been walking with the Lord for a long time or you're trying to kind of figure out your faith, you have questions, you have doubts, you have concerns that you haven't really articulated yet, some of us are coming in this room feeling spiritually lost. Or maybe you feel called up in some sin right now that you just haven't confessed, you haven't sought help over, and you feel distant from God. Maybe you feel purposeless or hopeless. If nothing else, if none of those hit you, I'm sure this one probably can, For many of us, we can admit that we don't exactly know what's coming next. Seniors, can I get an amen? Just the idea of like college puts us in a position where we just don't know, and we don't like not knowing, but we don't really know what's coming when it comes to you feel like you've got some big decisions to make, some stuff to figure out. So do you ever feel confused or lost or frustrated because you just, it just feels like God feels distant? Not long ago, my family and I um, married to Kelly. Um, she wasn't able to be here tonight. Wife of uh, 18 years this weekend. We're about to celebrate our 18th anniversary. I know. She's awesome. Um, she's the best. And we've got two daughters, Lucy and Jordan. Um, not too long ago, we were on a little family hike uh, to Yellow Branch Falls, which is out near like Stump House Tunnel. And it's the perfect little family hike. 
especially for my family who doesn't love to hike. So, because it's mostly flat, and it's like a mile hike in and out, uh, very simple, and there's a great payoff. There's a wonderful waterfall, safe water to play in, so you have a lot of families on this trail. So we were walking slash hiking, mostly walking to Yellow Branch Falls, and these two little boys kind of come around the corner on this path, and they just look so distraught. They were twin boys, about ages four or five. They're wearing nothing but a swimming shorts, like no shirt, no shoes, and also like no guardians. <laughs> just two little four-year-old boys lost in the woods. And so they come running up just like looking so fearful, and I go into dad mode, I'm like, hey buddy, you guys okay? And they're like, no, we've lost our parents. We don't know where they are. So I go into full dad mode at this point. I put on like a safety vest. I scan the perimeter. I send out the bat signal. We're ready to go. And so I start asking questions, right? I'm like, all right, tell me, when was the last time you saw your parents? We don't know. The investigation is not going great at this point. (laughs) And immediately, literally before I could ask the second question, their parents walked up. Like, (laughs) they were about 10 yards away this whole time. These boys thought they were completely lost in the woods and their parents were no, like they could not have been further than this door is for me right now. They were not lost, but they felt really lost. And all of a sudden, they weren't worried at all. They walked up and, and the twins were like, oh, there they are. And they just, you know, went on their way. Here's what I want to encourage you with. Like if, if you feel lost, like you feel like you've been seeking God and you feel like he can't be found, like if you feel lost spiritually, I have really good news for you. You probably aren't really lost. And what I mean by that, God is not distant. Our experience of God can feel like distance, but God is not distant. He has actually made himself very, very near. If you are seeking God, he's told you the way to find him. What's the way? Well, Jesus says, I am the way. Jesus himself provides his spirit, which comes at the end of this passage. He sends into the world to live in you if you put your faith in Jesus. You are never actually distant from God if you are a believer in Christ. Even though your experience may feel like distance, he hasn't gone anywhere. If you're in Jesus, you are never actually lost. He's always there. He's always working in you, even right now. And here's what I want you to know. like Not knowing the future doesn't mean you're lost. It may mean that God has you in a place to grow in deeper faith. Um, Even doubts sometimes, doubts, I believe, aren't necessarily antithetical to faith. Sometimes they can be a pathway to deeper faith. You aren't as lost as, as maybe you seem at times. Jesus is actually inviting you to trust him and to grow deeper in your love for him and in your trust for him. Jesus isn't saying that he is the path to something else. He doesn't say, I'm the way to a great life. Like, I'm the way to get the job, the house, the spouse, the two and a half kids, the big TV, the dog, the boat. Like, Jesus isn't promising that he's the way to the life that you've always wanted. He also isn't promising that he's the way to avoid pain and suffering. Jesus isn't the path to something else. He is the path. Like he is the something. The path is a person. Jesus 
is saying that he isn't the road to something. He is the road. He isn't the way to a happier and healthier and wealthier life. He is the way to the Father and the life that is found in him. And if we're on a different path, any other path is to be lost. And it's to be wandering around trying to figure it all out on our own. That is what lostness is, according to the Bible. And if that's you, you don't know Jesus, or you're struggling with where you stand in your relationship with Jesus, he's inviting you to come to him and to find life and truth and trust in him. But for those who want to grow in a relationship with God, you aren't lost. He is the way. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say that he is also the truth of God revealed. I know you talked a little bit about this briefly last week. I'll listen back to that message, great message. But I think something we see in our world right now is that belief, like broadly, is is very acceptable, Um, maybe even popular right now. I'm sure you're inundated with social media encouragements to believe in something, like believe in yourself, um, trust the universe, like just believe out there kind of is acceptable and popular. I think of the, the yellow sign above the locker room door with the blue letters, believe on Ted Lasso that all the players hit as they're on their way out to the game. Believe, belief is popular. Exclusive belief is not popular. Exclusive belief is not acceptable. What's acceptable is you do you. Like, believe what you want to believe as long as it doesn't get in the way of anybody else and what they believe. Maybe you've heard the old parable about the blind men and the elephant. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I think this has um, Buddhist origins, but it goes like this. Religion is like several blind men who come up on an elephant and they begin to fill different parts of the elephant and describe their experiences, Right? One fills the tail, and he says, the elephant feels like a rope to me. Another fills the trunk, and he says, this seems like a snake. Another wraps his arms around the big elephant leg, and he's like, I think it's a tree trunk. The idea of this parable is that this is how religion works. Everyone has their own unique and individual experiences, but they're all interacting with this sort of same higher power or whatever it is. Some cultures call it a God or whatever, and this is the idea that um, everyone is experiencing religion in their own sort of way and no one is wrong. But also, I would just say this, like it actually misses the main point. The parable misses its own point because the elephant is not a rope right? The elephant's not a snake. The elephant's not a tree. The elephant is an elephant. And the view of Christianity is like, but what if the elephant could speak for itself? And what if instead of you having to guess, it could tell you what it was like? When Jesus says, I am the truth, he is making a bold claim. He's saying that God has spoken. That God has spoken into this world and he has told you who he is. Show us the Father and it would be enough. (laughs) Maybe you're coming to God with a similar request. Lord, I would believe you if you would just do this one thing. Like if you would just come through in this way, then I know that I could really trust you. If you could just show me, give me a sign so I'll know what to do. Give me a hint so that I can trust you. But notice Jesus' response in verse 9. He says, Have I been with you so long 
And you still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is making a bold claim. This semester in uh, RUF, um, I'm teaching through the Exodus story. And a few weeks ago, we studied Exodus chapter 3, which is a very important passage in the Old Testament because this is where God calls out to Moses from the burning bush. And he calls out to him and he's telling him, I'm sending you to Egypt where God's people, the Israelites, were in bondage and slavery. And God is calling Moses to go deliver them from the Pharaoh. Well, God and Moses have this interesting interchange. It's an amazing passage. But basically at the end, Moses says, but what if they ask for your name? What if they ask, who is this God that is sending me? What should I tell them? And you know what he said? He said, tell them, I am who I am sent you. God reveals his name. This is where we get the name Yahweh from. But he says, I am who I am sent you. Fast forward to the New Testament. In the Gospels, often when Jesus is teaching or performing miracles, he takes an opportunity to reveal something about himself, his character. And at least 10 times in the Gospel of John alone, Jesus says this short phrase that always elicits a response. And it's the phrase we have right here in this text where he says, what? I am. He says, I am. You've covered some of those texts this semester. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. Before that, I am the bread of life. Over and over again, he says, I am. Do you hear what he's saying? Philip says, show us the Father. And Jesus responds, you've seen him. In me, I and the Father are one. Believe in God, believe also in me. When Jesus invites us to believe, he doesn't invite us to believe whatever works for you. The word he uses for belief in verse one is this personal, intimate, relational term, trust me. Put your faith in me because God has spoken I am the word of God incarnate. I am the truth of God revealed. I am who I am, is what Jesus says. And so what happens when we don't believe Jesus? Well, if we're not believing truth, we're believing lies. And we're covered in lies every day. We are. Lies like you are what you do, like you're only as good as your last game as your last grade, as your last performance. You are valued by what you accomplish, by what you look like, by who your friends are, what organization you're involved in, what you're known for. We are bombarded with the lies of making a better life for ourselves apart from Jesus. So we need truth. We need to be reminded of the truth. We need to be reminded of who God is and who, who we are to him. I was thinking about this today, and I was thinking about this show that I used to watch. Um, y'all, y'all remember that old show, This Is Us? There's like four girls in here who saw it. So four girls and me. So uh, this is us. It's a great little show. Um, I don't think I actually finished it, but I remember the first season was awesome. And there was, and she's one of the triplets that the whole show's about. And Kate really struggles. And you see this throughout the show. They show flashbacks to like teenage years and earlier, and they show kind of modern day in their thirties. And um, Kate really struggled with self-image and with body issues And when she was younger, she became really resentful toward her father, Jack, because he kept telling her how beautiful she was. And she couldn't hear it. She didn't believe him. 
she was a talented singer, an amazing singer. And so in one episode, she's working on audition tapes to send in for college admission. And so she's making these tapes of herself singing, and her dad keeps asking for her uh, to show him the tapes. He wants to see her singing. And she wouldn't show him because she felt embarrassed. She didn't like the way she looked in the tapes. And so he sort of sneakily decides to record her while she's recording herself in her room singing. Well, she sees him, she catches him, and she just blows up. She's so angry that he would violate her privacy like this. And then later on, she's watching these tapes back. She's watching her recording that day. And what she sees is in the mirror of her recording, she sees her father looking at her singing. So now she's watching him watching her. And she sees him smiling. And she sees how proud he is and how enamored he is with her. And it begins to totally transform her. And she runs to him and she says, I'm so sorry. Please, please never stop telling me that you think I'm beautiful. It's an incredibly moving scene because she's finally starting to believe him. If you're a Christian, you need to recognize that you're walking around every day being tempted to believe the lies all the time. That you're ugly, that you're helpless or hopeless, that you're a fraud, that if somebody finds out about you, then you'll be done, that you'll never measure up, that you'll never be enough. We need to be reminded of how our Father actually sees us in Christ. Our world says that you are loved if fill in the blank. But God says you are loved because you are loved. That's why. Love originates with him. It flows out of him. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Jesus is the truth of God revealed, and we need to be reminded of the truth of who we are to him all the time. On a practical level, this is why we actually need God's word in our lives. God's word isn't just like a box to check so you feel okay about your devotional life or something like that. God's word is a reminder of who he is and who you are to him. We need fellowship in our lives. You need community. You need small group ministry. You need people who are going to talk to you and, and help you learn how to talk to yourself like we need fellowship, we need prayer, we need the church desperately. The church exists, God has given us this gift of the local church. God never promised, by the way, and I say this as a campus minister, that the gates of hell would never prevail against campus ministry. But he did say the gates would never prevail against the church. The church is God's blessing to us to be reminded, even on a weekly basis, of God's voice. We need truth in our lives. We need truth in our hearts and our minds to combat the lies of the world. And this relates to our last point, when Jesus says he is the life. Remember the context. Jesus is encouraging his disciples the night before he went to the cross, let not your hearts be troubled. Because Jesus knows that the cross is not the end of the story. There's a resurrection coming. This is not the end, and this life isn't all that there is. Uh, something I see a lot as a campus minister, especially here, is that a lot of students who grow up in or around the church come to college, maybe out of a religious family or a, 
you know, a religious school experience, and they come to college and intentionally set aside their faith for a time, and intentionally kind of say, like, maybe I'll come back to that later. Maybe when I'm, one day, if I get married and have kids, like, maybe that's what I'll, I'll start going to church again. Um, I'll start caring about some of these things again. But for now, like, college is college, and Jesus is going to get in the way of my college, now, some of you would never put it that way. Some of you maybe haven't totally set aside Jesus for college. I mean, you're here on a Thursday night. There's at least some interest, of course. But maybe it's more like compartmentalizing Jesus. Like, Jesus can have my Thursday nights. And occasionally, he can have my Sunday mornings. But outside of that, I'm going to do what I want to do. And so we build our lives apart from him. We begin to pursue and believe that life really comes through whatever we fill the blank in, like going hard after school with relationships or whatever we think, or pursuing our career with very little thought about what brings him glory in those areas. And we think that if we can get through life with popularity or performance or busyness or recognition or whatever, then we'll be satisfied. Um, I... I'm a little nervous to use this example because this is like really fresh in a conversation I had with, with my kids. Just don't tell them. So this was uh, last night after, um, after youth group. And one of my daughters was telling me that in, um, in youth group, the, the leader asked the question, um, if you could have anything right now, what would you want? Just the icebreaker question, right? And, you know, some, one kid said, I would, I would want to teleport anywhere in the world. Well, that was pretty good. Another kid said, um, I want wings and a tail. All right. Uh, <laughs> and then one girl shared, I just want to be popular. Like, I just want to be liked. When we're honest, like, that's us. We just want to be accepted. And we try to find that in all these different ways, right? But the problem is when we're honest, we realize it's just sort of never enough. We're never really satisfied. We always want more. And then there's a moment where that just really smacks us in the face. And often that becomes a breaking point. It reminds me of that news story a few years ago. I don't know if y'all remember this at all, but when, when one of Banksy's paintings was sold at an auction in London, y'all remember the story? Banksy, of course, is the like, notorious street artist who's anonymous, and one of his paintings of a girl holding a red balloon was sold at a famous auction in London, and it was sold for $1.4 million, and right after, right after the auction closed, like the gavel hit, and everyone claps, and during their clapping, the painting is over here on a wall in this like giant wooden frame and a beeping starts as everyone's clapping. And all of a sudden, the painting, the girl in the red balloon, begins to drop slowly out of the bottom of the frame through a shredder. Like Banksy had rigged the painting to go off with some control as soon as it was sold, and it was sold for $1.4 million dollars, Imagine the buyer of that frame, like right when they purchased it, it's theirs, literally the beeping begins and $1.4 million literally turns to shred. Um, that image has really stuck with me for some reason over the last few years, and I think part of it is this. I wonder if you can relate to that image on some level. Like, 
you have put in your investment only to watch it sort of like fall through the bottom of the frame. Some of you are freshmen, and you have hit the point here, March 1st, 2nd, what are we? Somewhere 2nd. Spring of your second semester of college, and you're like, this is not all that I hoped it would be. And actually, you hit that point in like September, right? College promised you this amazing life. And granted, there's awesome things about it. I love it. That's why I've been in college ministry for 15 years. I love it. But you know what I'm saying. Some of you older students have invested into college just like you thought you were supposed to. Like you've done the things that you were supposed to do. And now you're looking at the end of college and you're like, was that it? Like, was that really it? And you hear the beeping. And you see the shredding. And you're like, I don't know. Like you have the 4-0, but you're still so stressed about what happens if I lose it. Or you have the relationships, but you're still so insecure. You've involved yourself in all these activities, but you still go to bed many nights feeling lonely. What I want you to see is that when Jesus says, I am the life, he really does mean it. Because not only does he promise to give us eternal life, beyond this one, in my Father's house are many rooms, Like there's a promise of a life to come that Jesus is talking to his disciples about. But he also comes to give us life even now in this life. What does that mean? The life that Jesus offers us is so counterintuitive to the life that we think we want. The life that we're sold is to be happy, but the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. The truth of Jesus is that he was crucified as a liar and the life that God promises, he delivers, but it's often through pain and suffering and repentance and even death. But it is a life abundant. Jesus says the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And so he promises a life that is filled with hope, purpose, joy, and worship. And so what does it mean, revisit my first question, to be in a relationship with Jesus? Well, it means coming to him as he is and saying, change me. Like, I need your help, Jesus. I have absolutely been pursuing life apart from you, and it's not working for me. And I keep hitting a wall. I need your help. It looks like repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. God, I see sin in my life that I despise. Help me. I'm sorry. Forgive me and let me walk in faith. Help me to believe you, that you are who you say you are. You have come to do what you said you would do. And then God can take those very things that we have used to serve ourselves and now use those things to serve him. Our careers matter a ton for the kingdom. Your major does matter a ton for the kingdom. Your relationships matter a ton for the kingdom. But we make make them the end and not the means to the end. We've mixed up the relationship. I'll close with this image. For those of you who feel lost, uh, I was driving in my car not too long ago with one of our daughters, and I don't know what inspired this question. I was having a conversation with a a buddy, John, uh, about this, and he, uh, he... 
um, help me think about when kids are riding in the car, what are they thinking? And so I asked my daughter this day, I was like, hey, Lucy, when you are in the backseat of the car, do you ever know where we are? Like, do you even care? <laughs> and she, she was honest. I think she was probably 10 or 11 at the time. And she was like, no, I know where we're going usually, but I never know where we are <laughs> until we're on our street. Sure, makes sense. Like she knows where we came from. She knows maybe the destination, but she has no idea how to get there. Any kid riding in the backseat of the car have that experience, but they can see a little bit around them. They can see a little bit through the windshield, but what they can see better than anything else is the back of the driver's head. And so for a kid who's riding in a car with someone that they trust, they don't have to worry about how they're getting there because they know they have someone who will get them there. Here's what I wanna encourage you with tonight. What do we do when we don't know the way? Some of you are up against some big decisions right now, some heavy things that are on your heart. You can't see the whole story, but you can look to your father because he knows exactly where he's going in your life. And he knows exactly how to get you there. He is in control, he has a plan, and it is for your good. He is a good father who's taking us exactly where we need to go and he has provided his son as a guarantee of our safe arrival at home. And that is a promise. He not only knows the way, so come to the father through the son. I'm gonna pray and of course, there'll be opportunity up here with the prayer and encouragement team and the prayer room in the back who would love to pray with you. Anything that's on your mind and heart, or heart, bring it with them and bring it to your Father. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you love your children, that you know the way. You are the truth, you promise the life in you and I pray that we would believe you. God, if anyone here has, has never put their faith in you, I pray that maybe this would be the very night where they cry out to Jesus. Give me life. Or I pray for those of us who do, do know you. I pray that tonight would be a night where we return back to you. You are not distant. We maybe are running and hiding in our own sin and shame. Would you bring us out of hiding and remind us that we are loved and forgiven in Jesus. Not because of anything we've done or not done, but because of what he has done, that Jesus really has lived the life that we could never live. He died the death that we deserve to die for our sin, and he has provided resurrection life for all of us who put our faith in him. Help us to believe that this evening and always we ask in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.